Hello and welcome to the City View podcast. I'm Andy Sylvester at City AM. I can confirm to the Prime Minister and indeed Sue Gray that this podcast remains very much a work event. We don't open the whiskey cabinet in our newsroom, at least, until the paper is sent off to the printers. In a few minutes, I'll sit down with John Malloy. He's the Portfolio Manager for Emerging Market Strategy at RWC Partners. We'll get an insight from him on prospects for China in the coming year, as well as what the global inflationary push means for frontier economies. First, the headlines, though, and making most of them away from Downing Street, at least, is a cracking letter from Terry Smith, the legendary stock picker of Fundsmith. In his annual missive to investors, he declares that Unilever, in which he does still hold shares, has gone too far in its pursuit of sustainability and forgotten its core purpose. It's worth reading the paragraph in full. Unilever, he writes, seems to be labouring under the weight of a management which is obsessed with publicly displaying sustainability credentials at the expense of focusing on the fundamentals of the business. The most obvious manifestation of this is the public spat it has become embroiled in over the refusal to supply Ben & Jerry's ice cream in the West Bank, he writes. However, we think there are far more ludicrous examples which illustrate the problem. And now we really are into the fun bit. Smith continues, A company which feels it has to define the purpose of Hellman's mayonnaise has, in our view, completely lost the plot. The Hellman's brand has existed since 1913, so we would guess that by now consumers have figured out its purpose. Spoiler alert, salads and sandwiches. Not your normal letter to investors, I think it may be described as, but quite enjoyable to read nonetheless. I must admit that having perused Unilever's website this afternoon to discover that its brands in fact have mission statements, Hellman's apparently is on the side of food, whilst Nor, who famously makes stock cubes, is, and I quote, undertaking the rather worthy task of reinventing food for humanity. Smith may have a point. Elsewhere, the constant stream of retail Christmas updates showed no sign of abating, with Sainsbury's the latest supermarket to report good news, albeit after a share slide in recent times. Really good results from JD Sports too. Tesco report tomorrow, as does Marks and Spencer, with city optimism for the latter in particular rather high. Across the pond, US inflation hit 7% year on year in December. We'll wait and see how markets respond, but judging by the tantrum they threw on Monday, we may see some increased volatility on Wall Street, both now and throughout the rest of the year, with predictions of as many as five rate rises. Now we'll turn to John Malloy, the Portfolio Manager for Emerging Market Strategy at RWC Partners. With more than two decades worth of experience in international investment management, it's safe to say he knows his stuff. John, thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you very much, Andy. It's great to be here. Yeah, pleasure. Um, we it's the turn of a new year so naturally everybody's thoughts turn to predictions for 2022 and i'm going to be no different and ask you about your sort of general feeling um i think it's fair to say last year 2021 was a a pretty headwindy year um despite the fact that everything you know equities in particular had, had a decent year um where do you see those headwinds? If you were if you were a, a wind forecaster, are you expecting more of the same, or do you think they might change direction? Yeah, no, that's what we're thinking about right now. And as we look to twenty two, uh, twenty one was a difficult year. I think uh, starting with China, China being you know the largest emerging market, second largest economy in the world. Um, that market, you know, if you look at the equity market, peaked in February of last year and was down, has been down ever since. With you know, as we know, the regulation and 
some of the crackdown in certain sectors, uh, the slowdown in the economy, the property market. But I think, you know, starting with that one, I think China looks to be stabilizing. Mm-hmm. And we see that more as a tailwind going into 22. Um, the regulation seems to be uh, off the table. She is looking at consolidating more political power in 22. That's important. We have the Winter Olympics in Beijing. That's mm-hmm. another important milestone. And then we have China rolling out the first real digital currency. So I think all of those point to China stabilizing and doing well throughout the year. Um, beyond that, there are some other positives, but you know, why don't I put it back to you to see if there are any other questions, Andy? Well, no. I mean, starting with the positive is always an interesting. Why don't we Why don't we dig into to China a little bit there? Because the story of the back end of twenty twenty one was certainly the sort of the, the Chinese tech crackdown, for want of a better phrase, um, with everything from you know sizable firms delisting from New York, going back to Hong Kong. Um, I mean, the year started with with Jack Ma if more or less disappearing from from public prominence, but your feeling is that we can start to put that in the rearview mirror, is it? I definitely think so. I mean, we um, we became very negative on uh, companies like uh, Alibaba last November when they cancelled the financial deal and basically sold our position, and since then the stock is down fifty percent. I think a lot of that is is being priced in the market. Um, not to say that we're buying Alibaba, but I think there are opportunities within China um, as we look forward after this correction. Um, and so, you know, as I mentioned, the, the regu- regulatory crackdown in technology or gaming or education and real estate really has, has slowed dramatically. And I think as China looks towards, you know, moving towards stabilization, increasing employment and, and stabilizing the economy, um, some of those measures, for example, the loosening of credit, you know, we've start, we started to see the loosening of credit. Mm. We've started to see, um, you know, just more uh, more lending picking up and again, and again, less regulation. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And we'll, of course, uh, I think keep that keep that under watch. China, of course, having its own issues with um, the the new Omicron variant at the moment, various cities in, in pretty hardcore lockdown. But that if that's a, a local problem, of course, the global pandemic has created a global issue in the sense of inflation right across the board across the world. Um, We've just had the US inflation print, which is punchy to say the least. Um, No country, as far as I can ascertain, no developing country, uh, developed country, sorry, as far as I can ascertain is, is without its inflation issues. But this, to your mind in 22, is this is a global issue, right? Oh, this is definitely a global issue. And one of the other headlines, you know, beyond China would have been for last year was uh, local central banks throughout emerging markets, frontier markets, hiking rates. I mean, they were, they have been well ahead of the Fed in terms of hiking rates. I mean, we have Brazil, we've had um, Russia, South Africa, um, you know, and and even in China, they haven't hiked rates, but they never eased. So Mm. we've already had a, a rate tightening cycle in emerging markets. Um, Part of what we're working through right now in the US and and global markets is the Fed cycle. And I think that that could present some volatility, increased volatility in the near term. We've seen that to the start of the year, um, kind of a move up, a move down, followed by a move up. We could be working through that. But I think um, within the emerging market complex, those central banks have been 
focused on inflation and the inflationary pressures. Um, but it's going to take some time. I mean, the supply chains continue to be tight, even though they have eased up. Um, if you look at freight rates uh, throughout, you know, the Baltic dry index, for example, has has collapsed back to where it was before. So there's some indication that it is easing up. But as you mentioned, the, the strong print in the U.S., um, that will signal that the Fed's going to be very you know, hawkish on inflation. And I think the market probably has to become a little bit more concerned about rates going higher, which could put pressure on you know, developed market equities. But we view that as a positive for emerging market equities, which have mm. lagged and are much, much cheaper than developed market equities. That's interesting. And we talk about opportunities in, well, you talk about the, thinking about rate rises this year and or the year past in emerging markets. As we move into 2022, where, without saying where are the opportunities in emerging markets, you know, I know that there's been some chatter around sort of ESG opportunities in emerging markets, um, frontier economies. Is that something that you buy into? Oh, very much so. I mean, we've been running the strategy for almost 10 years and ESG has been part of it since we started. Um, but I think the, the benefit now is that you know many companies that we're talking to are embracing it. Even the biggest companies like Reliance Industries in India is looking at uh, carbon neutral targets in the next five to 10 years. So that's this is a sea change from even two years ago. And so I think that is very encouraging in terms of you know, that there's an arbitrage gap in terms of ESG risk within emerging markets. And I think that's an opportunity for investors. So we we incorporate that into our investment process. We have an ESG, we have an internal scoring system that we've had in place for years. Um, we engage with our managements, you know, we will vote against managements. We've done that. Mm. And so that that is part of it. But the, the good news for, I think, investors and for the opportunity is that there's more and more companies are embracing it and really trying to... Um, address the issues, not on not just on governance, but also on the environment, on the climate crisis that we're going through, but then even on the social issues that we find in terms of education and poverty. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day who thought that 2022 might be the, the S year of, of ESG if 2021 around COP26 was the was the E. Let's just talk about that, I guess, briefly before we bring this to an end. Let's talk about, you know, the firm you're in, a multi-boutique what is it that you think makes you guys, I guess, different? What is it that you do that's different that you think has positioned you so well over the years? Well, we are truly active investors. So, you know, we we we, we have a benchmark and, and we will look at it, but we're very, very different from the benchmark. Um, we um, are a smaller boutique, so we are independent. You know, we're owned and controlled by the employees. I'm a, I'm a shareholder. And I think that's just a different mindset in terms of the big corporates, especially what's going on, you know, in, in the corporate world and how, you know, doing business and investing is changing. Um, and so it, it, it allows us to think differently, to, to think different than kind of the, the herd mentality. And that has allowed us to, you know, create alpha for investors. And over the past almost 10 years, we've created about 500 basis points per year of alpha. And, you know, so I think it, it speaks through the process, through the structure of RWC, as well as through the results. Um, we also are very focused on the team and, and the, the, the mindset of the team. We invest in the team in terms of mindfulness, stress reduction, um, working with trading coaches, and also working with our political advisors, Rice Hadley Gates, led by Condoleezza Rice. I mean, these are these are benefits that we think are long-lasting to the team and how, how we work together. Yeah, well, never has uh, political risk and political 
outlook been more important than in the last couple of years. And uh, I dare, dare we say it, as everybody in Britain gets very excited about the political outlook for one particular individual in Britain, we may hear more about the interaction of uh, economic recovery and politics in the years to come. Um, John, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Andy. Have a great day. And that's all from us at the City View podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow as ever, Monday to Thursday before our first tech special on Friday. Thanks so much. Bye for now. <laughs>